0: This is Nikki calling from Chicopee, Massachusetts, and you are listening to California Dreaming on the Orbital Jigsaw Network. California Dreaming is brought to you by Blueberry. You know there is a little bit more to making a podcast than just talking into a mic and hitting publish. You need more than that. And I'm talking about a reliable hosting service so your time can be spent working on your show. You also want accurate download numbers, you want to see the audience that you're reaching, and you're going to want a webpage that is simple and easy to work with. That's why I choose Blueberry. With its simple media hosting and fully integrated WordPress website, it can't get any easier. So if you host a show or if you're thinking about starting one, visit com/dream to give Blueberry a try for a month for free. Blueberry's support team will be right there every step of the way to help you migrate over so you won't lose any of your subscribers in the process. And if you're brand new to this, they can get your new show up and running. And with a month for free to try it out using promo code DREAM, what have you got to lose? There are a number of ways that you can support California Dreaming. You can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. You can spread the word about the show, you can recommend us in podcasts and true crime fan groups, and you can leave the show a rating and a review on iTunes or whichever platform you listen to the show on. And if you would like to go a little above and beyond, you can support our show on Patreon. For as little as $1 a month, you can gain access to one exclusive episode per month, and there are currently more than two dozen episodes that you can binge. So it's a pretty good deal for just a dollar. This week, I do have a Patreon bonus planned for you very soon. I did drop some hints about it in the Facebook group. I just had to stop in the middle of this to wrap up this episode first, but I'll be back on it right after. And if you're not interested in a monthly donation, you can help with a one-time donation to the show through our PayPal using our email, CaliforniaPod at gmail.com. Every little bit helps and is very much appreciated. So thank you. And before we get started, I need to provide you with this warning. This episode contains details involving domestic violence, including acts of sexual violence, and is graphic in nature. The subject matter may be triggering for some listeners. It is not intended for young audiences, and listener discretion is strongly advised. YouTube According to a 2019 article on InterestingEngineering.com, YouTube is the largest, most used, and most popular video sharing platform on the Internet today. It contains more than 4 billion hours worth of video viewers every month. How long exactly is 4 billion hours? Well, I did math, and it comes out to be about four hundred and fifty nine thousand two hundred and thirty two years it was founded on Valentine's Day of 2005 by three former PayPal employees Chad Hurley Steve Chen and Jawed Karim and they did so basically in their garage the idea came to them while they were at a dinner party sometime in 2004 when they were discussing how difficult it was to find watch and share videos online as there really was no easy way to share the increasing number of videos that people were now able to collect on their cell phones. Their two biggest inspirations were Janet Jackson's wardrobe malfunction and the tsunami in the Indian Ocean in 2004. It started off as a place for people to upload their amateur videos and eventually evolved into creating its own original content. It also spawned a brand new career, that of being a YouTuber, which can become a lucrative profession, creating content and uploading videos onto YouTube. The first video on YouTube was founder Jawed Karim at the zoo, which was him at the San Diego Zoo talking about the animals that he was looking at. YouTube got its first 1 million viewed video when a Nike ad went viral and was uploaded to YouTube, which was Brazilian soccer player Ronaldinho getting his pair of golden boots. Nike was the first major company to see the potential in YouTube as a promotional vehicle, and it just grew from there. In October of 2006, a little more than a year and a half after launching YouTube, Google offered to bring them into their company for $1.65 billion, which the founders accepted. So today, and it's not just on YouTube, but across several social media platforms, there has been a rise in what are known as influencers. It's basically just a person who is able to build a substantial following on their social media platform whether it be on YouTube or Instagram or whatever, and they provide information or instructions on basically anything. It could be health and wellness, exercise, knitting, artistic creations, hair, makeup, beauty, and typically they help set trends and they can make money doing so. And in 2008, one young woman in Sacramento, California, was one of the first to upload her instructional fashion videos to the burgeoning YouTube platform. And I'm going to share her inspirational, albeit tragic, story here with you today on this 119th episode of California Dreaming, The Tale of Who Killed the YouTube Star. Tamisha Ridge was a rising star. It was destined to be from the moment she uploaded her very first video on her YouTube channel called Misha TV. Tamisha, 26 years old at the time, was effervescent. Just a lovely young woman. She had a beautiful smile, and she was so natural in front of the camera. And it was just her being herself. It all came so easy to her, as her bubbly personality really shone through. Of Tamisha, her mother described her as a very happy and jovial person who had not a problem making friends with her magnetic personality. As a child, she was also very creative and artistic, but she always gravitated towards drawing things that had to do with fashion, clothing, dresses accessories. Tamisha's cousin Valencia in an interview echoed the sentiments of Tamisha's mom. She described Tamisha as lively, happy, warm, and so fun to be with. She was imaginative and always had ideas when it came to things to do and things to create. So when she got older and there was the evolution of the Internet along with the birth of YouTube, Tamisha was one of the first that decided to take her fashion tips, ideas, and tutorials to the growing platform. On her videos, she would talk about whatever she was wearing and how she made it. And yes, she made all of her own clothes. And because Tamisha was so pretty and had such a charismatic personality, people really enjoyed her videos. And soon, they were hitting the subscribe button in droves. She was a hit with her viewers. And Tamisha did have aspirations of one day becoming a fashion designer. But in the meantime, while she worked her way there, one of her favorite types of videos to put out there for her subscribers were the tutorial type videos, where she would demonstrate step-by-step instructions for them how to make their own fashion creations. And she also decided to try and sell the cut pieces of fabric that went along with each of her designs that viewers could buy and be able to make each of the items that she was featuring in her videos. Her family was very proud of her ambitions, as well as her ingenuity, her creativity, and very much supported her desire to pursue a career in fashion. And they loved seeing her make her videos as it was clear that Tamisha truly put her heart and soul and love into everything that she was doing. And it definitely showed. It made her feel good that she knew that she was able to reach so many people by way of this brand new platform of video sharing, that she would be able to possibly inspire other young girls and women to pursue their creative sides, to perhaps spawn a love of fashion That someone didn't even know that they had or even help young girls discover their own talents that would have otherwise lay dormant tamisha made creating fashion designs seem so easy she enabled people to do and try new things that they had never tried before because they didn't know how she definitely reached a lot of young girls and women and her passion and love and talent for what she was doing was inspiring to them. Tamisha was also a mother. She had two children, a son named Savion and a daughter named Mishalo. And of course, Tamisha's favorite thing in the world was making clothes for her own children too. And eventually, that would also be incorporated into her video catalog on YouTube as well, Making Your Own Children's Clothing. Eventually, Tamisha decided that her best bet when it came to breaking into the fashion industry would be to move from Sacramento to the Los Angeles area. She wanted to attend college and study fashion design in Southern California and eventually launch her own business from there. Tamisha enrolled in El Camino Community College and still kept up with her YouTube channel. And as her children got older, they would make appearances on her videos as well. Her subscribers and views for her videos were growing with each passing day. and She was really making a splash as one of the earliest YouTubers out there. And you may have noticed, or I may not have mentioned yet, that Tamisha was a single mom. I've yet to mention the father of her children. To be clear, the father of her eldest son, Savion, I don't know who that is. As for the father of her second child... He wasn't around either, and that's because he was in jail at the time that she moved down to the Los Angeles area. And his name was Demishalo Green. And he was physically abusive towards Tamisha to a point where she had finally had enough and had to end the relationship. But he was in jail serving time for domestic violence, but it was an incident involving his new girlfriend, not Tamisha. Tamisha's mom said that she did have some lingering fears when it came to Dameshilo, but for the time being, things were okay since he was locked up. Dameshilo was the first time Tamisha felt as if she was truly in love, and for a time, she thought she wanted to marry him someday. It was her dream to have a house full of children. But he had been so violent, both mentally and physically abusive towards her, that dreams of a future with him faded over time. Her mom had a very real fear that if Tamisha did not put some distance between herself and Dameshilo that one day he was going to end up taking things too far and hurt Tamisha seriously or possibly even kill her. Dameshilo was there with her when she launched her YouTube channel. He would assist her in making her videos which, to be honest... I seriously doubt she even needed his help. She was so good at doing what she was doing, she was probably more free to be herself if he hadn't been there. And at the same time, Dameshla was very controlling and possessive over Tamisha, and it went beyond just being jealous. It was a jealousy filled with rage and anger to a point that he would beat her up pretty much on a regular basis. It all finally culminated in a very violent and dramatic breakup where Tamisha essentially fled the relationship, taking her children with her and retreating back to the safety and security of her family. And it was there she would recover from the trauma of Demishalo's abuse. And she was also able to find a renewed sense of peace and tranquility through the church. She would spend the next three years living for her family, her children, for God, and most importantly, for herself. After those three years had passed, Tamisha finally found herself in a place where she felt as though she would be comfortable entertaining the idea of possibly dating again. And at school, she met a man named Herzl. It all kind of took Tamisha by surprise, as she had been so focused on her children at the time and her education, her creations and designs, and of course, breaking into the fashion industry. That, and having been through the pain and distress of a violently abusive relationship with Dameshalo, followed by a really hard breakup, not to mention the complications of having the father of one of her children being in jail and I guess the other one not even being around at all and having to deal with her children's feelings and the complicated relationships that they would have with their dads it goes without saying Tamisha's life was full and it was happy but it was also really complicated the thought of getting seriously involved with anyone was the furthest thing from her mind but Herzl, he was just so incredibly charming and sweet. And it was something Tamisha wasn't really used to at all. He was romantic and patient. And he was devoutly religious, which had become a very important component in Tamisha's life. Eventually, he won her over. And she opened up her heart. And started a relationship with him. Before long, she began telling Herzl about her online presence and what all of that entailed. She showed him her YouTube channel, which by the time that she had met him had been steadily growing for a little over a year. By that time, she showed him some of her instructional fashion videos, as well as her Facebook page that also featured many of her designs and creations. Modeled by both herself and her children. By the time Herzl came into the picture, Tamisha had amassed at least 10,000 followers on YouTube, and he was really impressed with what she had established for herself thus far. The one thing Tamisha might have been lacking, and she readily admitted to it, was that she didn't have much of a mind for business. In other words, she wasn't really sure which direction to go in order to try and monetize her channel. She was selling fabrics and clothing items that she made herself to those who followed her online and wished to purchase some of her original designs. But Herzl, he told Tamisha that he was very knowledgeable when it came to the business side of things. She was making money, but Herzl was like, we can make real money with this venture. And it was pretty clear from all the followers and all the views and all the feedback that she was getting about her designs and the tutorial videos that they really adored her and her work. He saw the potential there and to him, Tamisha was on her way to becoming a very well-known YouTuber and he really wanted to be a part of it and help her grow her brand. And one of his first ideas was to procure potential advertisers and clothing companies that might be interested in partnering with her. Tamisha could advertise their products on her channel and start making a little money. You all know how it works. And the more followers she had and the more traffic that she would be able to generate to these various companies, websites, and products, the more potential for her to start generating money through advertising. So just as she was ready to partner with Herzl in her personal life, the two also partnered in creating and building a business, hopefully an empire. So before long, they were both running the YouTube channel together. Herzl working behind the scenes, making moves to monetize Tamisha's channel. Tamisha also eventually earned her degree from El Camino College in Fashion Design. And if Tamisha wasn't already on cloud nine, her relationship with Herzl also blossomed. According to her cousin Valencia, the couple were inseparable. He took on a very active role in helping Tamisha raise her children. They all went to church together, and of course, they did the YouTube channel together. And Herzl did ask Tamisha to marry him, which she accepted and the couple documented their whole wedding on YouTube, and of course, she designed her beautiful wedding dress herself. All the while, Tamisha's online following steadily grew, as more and more people were discovering her DIY fashions, learning with relative ease how to make their own clothes. It was wildly popular, and Tamisha was definitely at the forefront when it came to making a name for herself by way of YouTube. Within two years of launching her channel, she managed to rack up more than 60,000 followers. Watching her channel grow was so fulfilling to her that she was able to reach so many people and teach her subscribers something meaningful. She loved sharing her love for fashion with the world. And before she knew it, Tamisha became pregnant with her third child. And you know she was quick to start making tutorial videos on how to make your own baby clothes. Her two older children were also making more and more guest appearances on her channel, as she would sometimes make matching outfits for herself and her daughter. In December of 2010, Tamisha gave birth to her daughter that she and Herzl named Maranatha. By this time, the couple had been together for about two years, and they were going strong as ever. But soon, one of those complications entered into the picture. He had finished serving his three-year prison sentence for domestic violence and Tamisha was one of the first phone calls he made when he was released. She had a very strong conviction that her daughter needed to have her father in her life. She did not want to deprive her of that. But with Herzl in the picture, knowing Dameshilo's hot temper and extreme possessiveness and jealousy, it was not going to be easy. And Tamisha did not tell Herzl right away when she received the call that Dameshilo was out. Eventually, his calls were becoming more and more frequent and persistent, using wanting to talk to his daughter as an excuse to continually call. Tamisha finally just had to break down and tell Herzl that Dimitilo was the one blowing up her phone. Herzl questioned this as he was under the impression that Dimitilo was locked up. And she told him, Well, he's out and he wants to have a relationship with his daughter. And Herzl was kind of put off by this as it came to realize that Tamisha had known Dimitilo was out for however long she knew. And did not disclose this information to him. It would be the beginnings of a wedge being driven between the couple that would only worsen as time wore on. Herzl did not want Demishalo around at all. Tamisha had opened up to him about the abuse that she had suffered at the hands of Demishalo, so of course he didn't want him coming near her or the kids. But for Tamisha, it really wasn't an option. She simply didn't want to keep her daughter's dad away from her. To Tamisha, it wasn't up to her to do that, and it wouldn't be fair to her daughter. And there was a little more to it than that. Tamisha, was Tamisha's first real love. And no matter how badly he treated her, she still kind of sort of carried a torch for him, at least at this point. And I get the impression that Dameshalo knew it, that he still had a hold on her emotionally. And he made it clear that he wanted to be back with her and back in her life. Even though she was married to Herzl, and at the time he seemed to be everything that she needed in the way of a life partner. And he was pretty much the opposite of Dameshalo. There was just something about him that she could not resist. She would confess her feelings for Demetrio to her cousin Valencia. And in an interview that she gave, she said that Tamisha's exact words were he was like a drug. In her mind, her common sense could tell her every which way that Demetrio was absolutely toxic and she needed to run the other way. But no matter what she did, no matter how much he hurt her in the past, she simply wasn't ready to walk away completely. As Tamisha worked on trying to figure out how to get through each day feeling pulled in two different directions, I mean, she's married to this man who was such a a positive force in her life. He was so caring and sweet and thoughtful and he's helped her grow her brand and her business, and they have a child together. Yet she's still stuck on Damesha, For a lot of people, and many of us may be able to relate to this, there is always going to be that special place in your heart for the very first love of your life that will forever be a part of you. Tamisha was no exception to this, despite the abusiveness. And I don't really think any of us can pass judgment on Tamisha and what she did or didn't do when it came to navigating her relationship with Herzl, with Demishalo now back around, because I truly believe that she was doing the best that she could. And he was still the father of one of her kids. But still, Tamisha's family continued to worry about her, with Demishalo hanging around. But for the meantime, he was a safe distance away in Texas, and that was where he was on probation. So it wasn't something that was immediately urgent, but he was still aggressively making his presence known. As Tamisha continued to struggle with which direction to go with Demishalo, how he was going to fit into her life, if all that was even possible, the whole ordeal began taking a toll on her marriage to Herzl. Demetrio began calling more frequently, and he was calling after hours under the guise of wanting to talk to his daughter. But it was obviously much too late, and she'd be asleep, so the phone call would turn into somewhat of a friendly, flirty conversation between himself and Tamisha, and this caused Herzl to become really, really angry towards her. He didn't want Tamisha calling, really at all, but especially not late at night, and he didn't want Tamisha on the phone chatting and laughing with him. And as this went on, the fighting continued to get worse and worse, and by the time the child they had together turned 2, towards the end of December of 2012, Tamisha had had enough. She expressed to her mom and her cousin that Herzl's behavior was on the verge of becoming obsessive and the arguing between the couple would rage on for weeks on end until Tamisha just couldn't take it anymore. There is no indication that the fighting became physical. I didn't read or see anything that Herzl had ever laid a hand on Tamisha, so I can't say for sure. But whether or not it was going to happen, Tamisha was not interested in sticking around long enough for it to get to that point. She decided that she needed to take her kids and put some space between herself and herself. The fighting had become too much, and it was happening in front of the children, and she didn't want them exposed to that type of an environment. She had turned to a friend that she had met from church who offered her a place to retreat to, if and when the time came, she was ready to leave Herzl. Then one night, in the middle of the night, Tamisha quietly packed up some of her things, she gathered up her children, loaded up her car, and took that friend from church up on their offer, leaving Herzl while he slept. According to Tamisha's mom, she no longer wanted to be in this marriage to Herzl. Eventually, Tamisha had found a quiet little place, a little ways outside the city, in the suburbs of Los Angeles. It was a quaint little farm-style house, and it was peaceful and secluded, and it was exactly what she needed at that point in her life. Tamisha just wanted to be away from men, away from the drama, and just to do all that she could to provide the best for her kids. She was homeschooling them. She had her college degree. She had a growing following on Facebook. And she was ready to regain control over her own life and her own business. But Herzl, he wasn't having it. He insisted that they needed to work this out. That they had so much invested in one another. They had a baby together. They had their growing business. But Tamisha just kept telling him I can't be controlled anymore. She didn't want to feel trapped in any more abusive relationships. And she wanted to reclaim her life. But Rizal had a really hard time letting go. And honestly, it didn't seem that it was so much about the kid that they had had together. But what he claimed was half his. Their YouTube and fashion design business. Yeah. He was trying to claim the business was half his. That it was nothing until he took it over and grew it into something substantial. But you know and I know that Misha TV was entirely her brainchild. It would be like if David and I divorced and he tried to stake a claim on the podcast, right? Yeah, he might have helped get the ball rolling, He might have even had more to do with getting the show up and running than Herzl did with Tamisha's YouTube channel, but I mean, come on. There is not one single subscriber following Tamisha's channel because of Herzl. She is the face and personality of her brand. She had the channel before she had Herzl, and she is going to keep moving forward and growing without him, and there is no doubt about that. He may have helped the show grow, but if you ask me, once the relationship was over, his stake in Misha TV was over as well. Now, Tamisha's mom, she was not comfortable with her daughter living hundreds of miles away in Los Angeles, with her all the way up in Sacramento. She just knew that Tamisha had this penchant for attracting obsessive and abusive men. And with her putting herself out there on YouTube as her star was rising, she felt like it was only going to get worse. Mom constantly worried and wanted her to come back up north to be closer to the family, but Tamisha was stubborn and strong-willed and with a newfound sense of independence and in finding the strength to walk out on her herself before things really became violent, she wanted to land on her feet and do this for herself and her kids on her own. And you know, dreamers, with all the drama that was going on in Tamisha's life when the camera wasn't focused on her, she was actually quite masterful at hiding what she was going through. She was never anything less than her normal, bubbly, happy self in every single video that she ever uploaded onto her channel. She documented so much of her life, and in looking at all those videos, no one could have ever guessed how much pain that she was going through in her personal life behind the scenes. She never wanted anyone to see the hurt that she was experiencing or give her followers anything less than 100% of herself. And sadly, she didn't always share with her mom either as to the things that she was going through in her relationships. She tried to keep a smile on her face no matter what. She just didn't want her mom to worry. She didn't want to burden her. Tamisha kept almost all of what she went through to herself. So now, on her own, away from Herzl, in the quiet home that she found away from it all, Tamisha set up her entire fashion studio and decided that the best thing that she could do for herself and her kids was to go all in with her dreams of building a fashion empire. Being free of the constant fighting with Herzl, just away from all of that, enabled her to stay focused on growing her channel and her business and, of course, providing for her children, completely content to do it all on her own. But then one day, out of the blue, Demishalo showed up at her front door. It is not clear as to how much or how little Tamisha was opening herself up to him in the phone calls that they had had up to that point, but she clearly was not expecting him to travel upwards of 1,000 miles or 1,600 kilometers, even more so depending on which part of Texas that he was coming from, to come knocking on her front door. Needless to say, she was taken aback by his sudden reappearance in her life after all these years had passed. But there he was, flowers in hand. She had no idea how he found her, as she had shared her location with only a few close, trusted relatives and friends. Damesha explained that he got her address from a friend of a friend of a friend. And in showing up there in California, this would be a serious violation of the terms of his probation, but there he was, claiming he was there to see his daughter. But Tamisha was shaken by him just showing up out of the blue. It was one thing to be talking to him on the phone, being friendly and talkative, knowing that he's a safe distance away. But because she had been so friendly and talkative, which is Tamisha's normal demeanor, Tamishla may have gotten the wrong idea that perhaps he could have a second chance with her. But as Tamisha's cousin saw it, Tamishla was a man obsessed. He went to great lengths to track her down, and he would use his daughter that he shared with her as an excuse to continually barge into her life. And as much as Tamisha might have wanted to try and resist, it was much too easy for Demetrio to chip away at the walls that she had tried to build up around herself. He was just being way too sweet and charming. And you know this is totally like the cycle of an abuser, right? Demetrio had a long history of domestic violence, not only with Tamisha, but with other women that he had been involved in relationships with. I mean, that's what he was in jail for. Beating up the girlfriend that he was with after Tamisha had left him because he was beating her up. And he's out of the picture for a few years, and all of a sudden he reappears, and he finds Tamisha has since separated from her husband, so he's dialing up the charm. He does everything he can to come across as alluring and romantic as possible trying to win her over again like he had so many times in the past, knowing it would only be a matter of time before he would be able to weasel his way back into her life and then the cycle of abuse would undoubtedly begin anew. Dameshilo knew her weaknesses and he played her on those, knowing that she would eventually fall for him all over again. But Tamisha stood strong. She let him in, she let him visit with his daughter, but eventually she told him it was time to go and she would make a plan to take a trip to visit him in Texas on an upcoming weekend. And Tamisha was like, wait, what? I guess he was under the impression that he was just going to waltz right back into Tamisha's life, like right there on the spot, like she was going to take him in and set up house like a ready-made family. He really thought he was going to walk through that front door and pick up from where they left off all those years before. But there was a slight problem with that. Where they had left off before was Dameshilo having beaten Tamisha so badly that all she could do was leave in order to save her life. She certainly was not interested in starting over like nothing ever happened. And good on her for going against the strong feelings that we know she'd always had for him and taking a stand by refusing to be charmed and manipulated again. And she told him, straight to his face, Yes, he is a very special person to her. She will always, always care about him. But after all the pain and all the hurt and all the beatings that he had put her through, she just didn't want to go there again. He tried to proclaim his love for her, but she told him. He has the wrong idea when it comes to love between two people. People who love one another don't hurt each other the way that he had hurt her. And finally, it was her fear of going through all that pain all over again that was overriding any residual feelings that she may have had for Demisho up to that point. She cared about him. She may have still loved him, but not enough to want to allow him back into her life. And once Tamisha made it clear that she wasn't going to let him stay. As a matter of fact, she wanted him to leave and attempted to appease him by telling him that she would come see him in Texas. D'Amisho just flipped. All the sweetness, all the charm, all the I love yous, all the I miss yous, all of that just fell away. And the Demichello that she remembered when they were last together was standing there before her again. He grabbed her by the throat and he told her they needed to be together. And as they fought, as she struggled to breathe, Demichello commandeered her car keys and her cell phone. And that just technically escalated to a kidnapping, if I'm not mistaken. Tamisha's oldest son, Savion, he had heard the commotion at which point he quietly grabbed his phone and took refuge in the closet he sat on the ground in the dark and called up his grandma Demisha's mom he told her that demishalo was there and he took the car keys and the phone and he wasn't letting them leave and he was fighting with his mom at some point demishalo became aware that at least one of the children was watching them as they fought As he had his hands around Tamisha's neck, it dawned on him that the other children were someplace in the house. He let go of Tamisha, and he began frantically searching the place, screaming for them to come out from hiding. Then suddenly, the phone call that Savion had made to his grandma was abruptly cut off. And I mean, you know, she's uh, hundreds of miles away in Northern California, so she's filled with fear and thoughts of the worst-case scenario here. She knows damn well how violent Tamisha was capable of becoming, but from where she was, there was little to nothing that she could do to help her daughter. So Tamisha's mom called up her son, her brother, and she told him that she'd heard from Savion and it sounded like Tamisha and the kids were being kidnapped or they were being held against their will. But whatever the case was, He was there, and he was dangerous. So her brother, Larry, he had a friend who lived in the area where Tamisha lived, who was a police officer. So he called him up and explained that his nephew had called and said that his mom's ex-boyfriend was there in the house holding her and the kids hostage. What they decided to do was come up with a plan to try and get the kids out of the crosshairs so what the police decided to do was to send up to the house an undercover female police officer posing as a social worker. When she knocked at the door, Demishala looked out the window and saw her standing there and came back and told Tamisha to make her go away. Now, because Tamisha was homeschooling her children, a visit from a social worker isn't necessarily out of the ordinary. And it seemed as though Demishilo knew that so he really wasn't thinking much of this. The social worker was quietly able to identify herself as a police officer and communicating through various hand signals and gestures. She made it clear that she wanted to safely get the kids out of the house. She told Tamisha that she had some paperwork for her to sign and if she could see each of the kids outside. So Tamisha filed her children out the front door. She followed behind And the four of them made their way to the safety of the officer's vehicle. At that point, the undercover officer signaled for her backup to surround the house. They made their way inside and searched until they found Demishello hidden inside the attic area of the home. He was arrested and sent back to Texas and sent back to jail for violating the terms of his probation. And he was slapped with a restraining order order to stay away from Tamisha and the kids. After this ordeal with Tamisha though, Tamisha finally decided that the best things that she could do for her kids was to move back up to Sacramento so she could be closer to her mom and her brother. She found a place that was just a few doors down from her mom because she knew she needed their support in getting through this. And true to form, Tamisha again slowly started getting back to normal, her usual happy self, and now she was surrounded by her family. Her brother would even say that she was happier than ever. Tamisha got settled in. She rented out a space to operate her fashion design business. Her following on social media was continuing to steadily grow, and she actually started hiring people to work with her in the process of manufacturing her custom designs that she sold online to her viewers and subscribers. And you know, when you have kids, having family around to help out with the day-to-day stuff is priceless, especially when you're a single mom. I was a single mom for a couple of years when my kid was in preschool, and to have my parents help in picking her up from school and stuff like that made things so much easier. And I only had one kid... Tamisha had three of them, but the family all pitched in and helped. Now at this point, for the most part, Demishala was no longer an issue in Tamisha's life. He was back in Texas, he was not supposed to leave the state, and she had an order of protection against him. But there was still Herzl that she needed to deal with. Whatever capacity he was helping with the business and of Tamisha's work online on YouTube and with her sales to customers, Herzl continued to have a hand in it. Tamisha got to a point where she was prepared to cut those last few ties to Herzl off once and for all. Misha TV and her fashion design business, it was all hers to begin with. This was her baby and she wanted complete control of all aspects of it. In front of the camera, behind the camera, and everywhere in between. And another thing that she needed to deal with was the fact that she and Herzl were still technically married. So fast forward to February of 2014. Tamisha is absolutely in a very happy place in her life. And she is prepared to cut the last tie that had her bound to a controlling man, Herzl. It was a weekend when the family was having a bit of a backyard get-together, which Herzl was invited to come up so he could visit with his daughter that he shared with Tamisha. But Tamisha also took this opportunity to have Herzl served with divorce papers. I don't think he saw it coming, as he seemed to be under the impression that this visit was going to be the opposite of what actually happened, like they were going to be able to work on their relationship. The biggest problem that had come between them was Demishalo, but now he was gone, and it looked as though it was going to be for good. So Herzl probably thought, all right, Demishalo is out of the picture, the cause of all of our fighting is gone with him, let's make this work. But no, Tamisha had no interest in having him, or any man for that matter, lording over her life or her business. And besides, yes, Demetrio was at the heart of their problems. But only Herzl could be held responsible for the actions that he took and the way that he behaved when they fought about it. It doesn't change the fact that he went to a very dark place and showed a side of himself that Tamisha had not yet seen before. It did not matter to her that Demetrio was a non-issue. Herzl still did that. And he couldn't take it back. And what's more, She wanted him completely out of her YouTube and fashion business. Those who were at the barbecue could clearly see that receiving those divorce papers infuriated him. And then he proceeded to blame her family for influencing Tamisha into divorcing him. And you know, that is a classic maneuver on the part of a controlling abusive spouse or romantic partner to try and blame the friends and family for meddling in their relationship for pushing her into filing for a divorce where if they had not otherwise been around, this wouldn't be happening. It is common for an abuser to isolate their significant other from their friends and family in order to maintain control, to make sure nobody is giving them advice to leave the relationship. And it is clear that Herzl believes that if she had not been talked into filing for divorce by her family, she would not have done so. Getting served like that in front of Tamisha's entire family made him very, very angry. He said goodbye to his daughter and stormed off in the meantime while tamisha was waiting for her divorce to go through waiting for that last connection with herself to finally be over with and regaining control over her youtube channel and her brand she was preparing to go all in with building her empire with of course the complete support of her family And she very much makes them a part of her online presence as her mom, her kids, her brother, all of those that are close to her are often seen in her social media posts, which gives Tamisha's fans, followers and subscribers even more to love about her. Once Tamisha got settled, she rented a workspace for her to set up her entire fashion studio. And that was where everything was going to be made and to be sold online. She was making good money on YouTube and she was in a really good and happy place in life and her family was really proud of her and her success. So in May of 2014, her cousin that I've been mentioning throughout the story, Valencia, well at the time she was living in Nebraska. So she'd come out to California to visit with Tamisha to see what all she had set up for the business and Valencia brought with her an old friend that they had known since they were kids a young man named Lee Williams. She gave them a tour of her studio. And by that time, Tamisha had about eight employees cutting and sewing her designs and her old friend Lee. Well, he was finding himself a little bit smitten with the now grown up friend from back in the day. So he asked her out and she accepted. And the two of them started kind of a no strings attached dating relationship. It wasn't anything serious as Tamisha, having two painful relationships behind her, wasn't looking for anything more than just someone fun to spend time with. Nothing more. And as things were kind of just coasting along with Tamisha, her business, her family, her children, and with Lee, she began to have that sense that something or someone was watching her or following her or both. She kept noticing this one specific car drive by where she lived. The person driving would stop at the corner and just stare at her house. And the reason she was concerned about it is because she knew for a fact that throughout the time that she was with Dimicholo, he would actually offer his friends money to track the places that she went and the people that she would see. And he would do it pretty regularly. He had to know what she was doing 24-7. That is how controlling he had been during their relationship. And this behavior continued even after they broke up. Demetrio could not let her go. And even from Texas, even with the restraining order in place, he still wasn't going to stop. So a couple of days after Mother's Day of 2014, it was Tuesday. May 13th. Tamisha made a video and shared some of the gifts that she received and she wished her viewers a happy belated Mother's Day. She uploaded the video, but at the time, what nobody could have ever known was that was going to be the last video that Tamisha would ever make. Valencia and Lee were still visiting they had plans to hang out that day and go to a little house party. Demishalo had seen the video, and it prompted him to pick up the phone to try and talk to Tamisha again. And according to her mom, Tamisha made it very clear that she wanted him to stop calling her, but he continued to pester her by phone. Eventually, she just started letting his calls go to voicemail. The strong feelings that she used to have for him were no longer there. It all changed after that kidnapping hostage situation that he pulled at her house. She wanted and needed to move on. And the only way that she was going to be able to fully do that would be to completely freeze Dameshilo out. Valencia began to notice a shift in Tamisha's usual, happy, bubbly demeanor during the time that she was visiting for that week. It was apparent to her that something was bringing her down. And honestly, she could not have ever remembered a time when she needed to check with Tamisha to ask if she was okay. To wonder what was going on or what was bothering her. They had gone to that small house party with Lee on the evening of Tuesday, May 13th, 2014, and it was clear that Tamisha's mind was somewhere else. She had her phone in her hand and she was constantly looking at it. That's when Tamisha finally told Valencia and showed her what was going on. It was Demishalo, and he was sending her verbally abusive text messages. He let it be known that he had seen her going out with Lee. And he told her that she was acting like a whore, a coward, and a liar, and that he was going to F her up. She showed her phone to Valencia, and she got a glimpse at the sorts of abuse and harassment that Tamisha was dealing with. Demishlo continued to try to call, but she wasn't answering despite his pleas, telling her that he had something really important to talk to her about. Eventually he sent a picture. He had had her name tattooed in huge lettering across his body sort of off to the side above his hip and he told her that he did that for her and dreamers if you have a chance to go and take a look at tamisha's instagram page the pictures of that tattoo are still there valencia was like what is wrong with him and why would he get that huge tattoo on himself like that? And Tamisha told her, in no uncertain terms, he's obsessed. But then, the girls were kind of like, what a joke, right? They really didn't take Tamishalo or his antics seriously at all. And they just really wanted to continue on with their night. Harzel was texting at the same time, saying that he needed to talk to her too, that it was urgent but she didn't want to speak to him either. It was causing all sorts of delays with the divorce, dragging it out longer than it needed to be. So finally, the two of them got Lee and decided to leave the party. Tamisha had a place that she wanted to take them. It was very late at night and into the early morning hours of Wednesday, May 14th. They drove to a lake, And really, all Tamisha wanted to do was be happy. She wanted to dance and laugh and be free, and wanted to share that moment in a place that she enjoyed coming to. As the headlights of the car illuminated the darkened lakeside, the three of them posed for a selfie that Tamisha posted to her social media. After a little while, they piled back into the car and went back to Tamisha's house. The following details were from an interview that Valencia gave about the evening and how it wound down. It was after two in the morning when they arrived back at Tamisha's house. Valencia said goodnight to her and went into the house to go to bed, giving Tamisha and Lee some time to themselves. They stood on the porch for a little bit. They talked and before long they went inside for the night also. Of that moment when Valencia said goodnight to Tamisha, she carries around a lot of regret. She said if she could rewind the hands of time, she would have not gone inside yet. She would have tried to stay up a little bit longer. She would not have gone to bed. She would have tried to have been with Tamisha all night, talking or just hanging out. Anything to have that moment to do over again. Anything more than just goodnight, see you tomorrow. When I watched and listened to Valencia express how much she wishes that she could have done it differently, it's heartbreaking. Because she could have never known, ever in a million years, that that would have been the last words she'd ever speak to Tamisha. At approximately 4 a.m. that morning of May 14th, Tamisha and Lee were fast asleep in her bed. Her house had a sliding glass door that led out to the backyard, and it was a door that Tamisha almost never locked, despite repeated warnings from her mom that she needed to be more vigilant about locking her doors and being safe. Tamisha, well, she felt safe in the confines of her own home, which, of course, she should be able to feel that way. Unfortunately, that is not the world we live in. As they slept, someone crept into her yard, quietly slid the door open. He made his way down the hallway and pushed open Tamisha's bedroom door. He raised up the gun that he had with him and fired one shot. It is not really clear if that shot was meant for Lee or for Tamisha, but the bullet struck Tamisha, killing her instantly. The gunman fled, and Lee jumped out of bed in a complete blind panic. Ran to where Valencia was sound asleep, because the gunshot, it didn't wake her up. And I'm not clear as to where she was asleep in proximity to the room, but she managed to sleep through it. Lee began yelling, he shot Misha, he shot Misha. Tamisha's three children at the time, ages 12, 10, and 3, they were all in an upstairs bedroom asleep when she was shot. And this guy, okay, this guy Lee, his actions upon realizing Tamisha had been shot kind of bother me. But at the same time, I can't know or say how I would react if I was put in a similar situation. But once he got Valencia up, he ran out of the house. He jumped into Tamisha's car and sped off. Valencia tried and begged him to stay and help her because she didn't know what to do. But no, he just left. And again, I asked myself as I was reading through these details, what would I do? I think I would stay. I would call 911. I would try to render aid. I would try to comfort her. But I don't think I would get in my car and speed away, especially if it was someone that I really loved and cared about. And I have to admit to you, dreamers, I was really judgy when I heard this part about him fleeing the scene. Not only has he left Valencia in this emergency situation on her own, he left her having to deal with the three children still in the house. He's left her with either a dead or dying Tamisha without any thought of attempting to try and save her life or at the very least call for help. And he's left them in a potentially dangerous situation as they don't know if the gunman is still on the premises or if he's fled. And on top of that, this all makes him look damn suspicious. Valencia looked on helplessly, completely confused, standing in the threshold of the front door and watched as Lee drove off. Valencia went back into the house and into Tamisha's room. At first glance, It looked as though she was still sleeping. But as she drew closer, it was clear that Tamisha had suffered one gunshot wound to the side of her head. Valencia called 911 and reported that her cousin had been shot. Police arrived at the scene and she explained that there had been another person there. And he may have seen the shooter, but he fled. And the cops were like, get him back here or we're going to find him and arrest him as a suspect. When police went into the house to get a look at the scene, they found Tamisha. She was dead. She had been shot with that shotgun one time at close range, and in the hallway lay the weapon. Police also noticed that there was a trail of blood leading away from the bedroom, down the hallway, and back out the sliding glass door. As the person who was bleeding progressed away from the scene, the bleeding became heavier and heavier. So the person who had shot Tamisha had also in some manner injured himself. The paramedics arrived shortly after the police. They went inside and just a few minutes later they came back out. There was no need for their services. Valencia tried to stop them to go back inside to help Tamisha to take her with them to the hospital but they just had to tell her that they were so sorry but there wasn't anything that they could do Tamisha's mom who lived a few houses up the street and around the corner arrived at the scene with her brother she wanted to go inside but the police had to stop her and they had to break the news to her that her only daughter was gone Tamisha Ridge was 31 years old And in the chaos of all this, Valencia was doing what she could to get Lee to come back. I don't know if she thought he might have had something to do with this, just because of the way he was acting, but if it were me, I would sure have thought that there was something up with him. Lee finally did show back up, and he was almost arrested. But the police gave him a chance to explain himself. He told them that he had been asleep next to Tamisha when he suddenly was awakened by a noise and he could see someone standing in the doorway pointing a shotgun in their direction. The person standing over the bed fired one shot, dropped the gun and fled. The police asked him, Do you know the gunman? Did you recognize him? And Lee, he was nervous to answer because, you know, snitching. But it really wouldn't matter anyway. Five hours after a gunman snuck into Tamisha's house and shot her to death as she slept, a man turned up at a Sacramento police station to turn himself in, admitting that he was in violation of his parole. It was Demisha Logue Green. The arresting detectives were quick to notice that he had suffered some sort of major facial injury. And as soon as they took him into custody, he became overcome with emotion. And of course, he was soon the prime suspect in Tamisha's murder. Though he had first tried to deny it was him, later DNA testing of the blood trail left behind at the scene by the shooter came back as a match to Lowe. When he had that shotgun, and he held it up to take aim and fired. That weapon recoiled and struck him in the face. Domitillo Green was charged with first-degree murder.. When Domitil Green was sent to prison in 2011 to serve that three-year sentence that I had talked about in the beginning for domestic violence, there is actually much more to that case. And the following information I obtained from an article written by internet talk show host and YouTube personality Tommy Sotomayor. And it was published about a week after Tamisha's murder. When Tamisha was prosecuted for domestic violence in 2011, the prosecutor made it very clear to him as he was facing sentencing in court before a Sacramento judge. It was a stern warning. Dameshalo Green was headed down a very, very dangerous course. And this 2011 incident was not Dameshalo's first rodeo. It wasn't even his second, or his third, or his fourth. This was his fifth conviction on charges related to domestic violence. And with each conviction, Dameshalo's anger and violence escalated each time more serious and more brutal than the previous. The prosecutor was certain that Demetrio Green was a dangerous man, but yet this fifth conviction would be the first time that he was going to be made to serve a substantial amount of time in prison. And all the prosecutor on the case could do was hope that this would be a reality check for him. DeMishello pleaded no contest to a number of charges related to the case that sent him to prison for three years, including assault with a deadly weapon after he viciously beat and sexually assaulted the girlfriend that he was with at the time. But the incidents of violence that he perpetrated against women had been documented as many as 12 years prior to the time Tamisha was murdered, all the way back to 2002. In July of that year, Demichello's then wife first raised allegations of domestic violence during a family court proceeding. A couple of months following her statements to the family court regarding his abuse, Demichello pleaded no contest to a single count of battery. A couple months after that, he filed for divorce. Demichello was convicted two more times, both domestic violence related charges in 2004 And then again in 2008, he had also another no contest plea to a felony weapons charge. None of these convictions resulted in any more than several months in prison. But when it came to the woman he was with in 2011, who was only 18 years old at the time, and he was like 31, his penchant for violence against women had drastically escalated. Dimitra had apparently been having her work as a sex worker and in a jealous rage, which seems kind of bizarre to me because he's the one controlling what she does and arranging for her to meet with clients for sex. So if he's the jealous type, you know, I don't know. It's so twisted. And for the next minute or so, the details are pretty disturbing But I think you all should know what this man was capable of doing. So Demishello flew into this jealous rage and began choking her until she went unconscious. Then, in order to get her to come to, he slapped her across the face. He delivered a kick to her between her legs. And then he used a broomstick to sexually assault her with that foreign object. And then he used an extension cord to repeatedly whip her. At some point, Dameshilo went to sleep, but when he got up the next morning, he picked up where he had left off and began beating this young woman again. She eventually found an opportunity to get away. She ran out of the house without any clothing on and found a passerby who stopped to help her. Later on, that person who stopped described encountering this young woman. She was unable to articulate anything. She was completely hysterical and grabbed a hold of this stranger with a death grip. When a warrant was issued for Demichelos' arrest, the judge who signed it added in a note at the bottom that read, extremely cruel. Dameshalo would go on to accept a plea deal where all but one of the felony charges against him were dropped in exchange for a sentence of four years. And this would be his first strike under California's three strikes law. The judge also ordered Dameshilo to pay the victim restitution, but the woman he had brutalized disappeared. Reporters tried in vain to find her or Dameshilo's ex-wife to no avail, which I'm kind of glad that they weren't able to track them down, especially the young woman that he had beaten and sexually assaulted. I'm pretty sure that she didn't want to be found. And I did wonder, as I was going through Dameshalo's history of violence, what may have ever happened to this young woman, you know, because she was so young when he did all that to her. I wondered if she was okay today or not. If she was able to get back to wherever she came from and was able to seek help or support from her family or loved ones. Because I can't say for sure, but I kind of tended to think that she may have been a runaway or someone who wanted to get away from her parents for one reason or another. I wondered if the trauma of what Dameshilo had done to her ruined her. If she was unable to pick up the pieces or begin to heal in any way. Or if she was doing things harmful to herself in order to try and forget. This piece of shit just left so much wreckage in his wake. And these are the survivors that we know about. Who knows how many women he's beaten and assaulted, whose voices have never been heard because they'd been terrorized by him so badly. This guy is garbage. In her interview, Valencia called him a coward. And she's absolutely right a complete coward going through life, beating up women. There are not enough words to describe how absolutely abhorrent this man is. Demisha Green was tried not once but twice for Demisha's murder and burglary. The first jury was unable to reach a verdict declaring themselves hopelessly deadlocked after four days of deliberation. How could that be? Well, this guy took the stand in his own defense and completely denied being the one who shot Tamisha. And part of the reason why this happened is because of the actions of Lee Williams the morning of the murder. Remember how he fled the scene? Well, that gave Demishalo and his defense an opening to try and pin Tamisha's murder on him. When he took the stand, Demishilo testified that he went over to Tamisha's house to try and talk things out about their relationship. He said yes, he did go into the home unannounced, but he insisted he did not bring any weapon with him and he was not the one who shot Tamisha. Essentially, he's pointing the finger at Lee Williams. According to Demishilo's story, he was confronted by Lee, who was armed with a shotgun. They struggled over the gun, and during the struggle, Demichilo sustained that injury to his face. And it was Lee who discharged the weapon, firing the fatal bullet into Tamisha's head. Lee was called to testify, but he pleaded the fifth. So the jury deadlocked. Demichilo was retried in February of 2018 he repeated the same testimony he gave at his first trial about going over to Tamisha's house to talk to her about their relationship, which at the time he was then confronted by Lee, who was the one who had the shotgun. But this time around, the jury didn't buy his story, finding him guilty of first-degree murder, guilty of being a felon in possession of a firearm, and guilty of using this firearm in the commission of a felony. In March of 2018, Dameshalo was sentenced to 75 years to life in prison with an enhancement of this having been his second strike. Today, Dameshalo is 40 years old and he is currently housed at Pelican Bay State Prison in Crescent City, California. He will be eligible for parole in 2039 when he is 60 years old. And if you look this guy up online, You will find him on a website where he's trying to procure prison pen pals. It's totally gross. Herzl was given custody of the daughter that he had with Tamisha and Tamisha's mom gained custody of her two older children. Tamisha's legacy is going to live on forever by way of the more than 300 videos that she had uploaded over the years to her YouTube channel which you can search for either DIY Misha or Misha TV which is spelled M-E-E-S-H-A her Instagram is still up which I followed four days before her death she posted a couple of pics with Valencia and captioned it my favorite cousin is in town two days before her death she posted a pic of herself with one of the Mother's Day gifts that she'd received And the very last post that she made was the day before she died, and it was a quote that says, Don't forget to pray today because God didn't forget to wake you up this morning. Tamisha's story is yet another cautionary tale of the very real danger that both women and men can find themselves in when their partner resorts to violence in order to control every aspect of their lives. We know it is hard for some to leave these abusive situations, especially if there are children involved or if the victim of the abuse is dependent on their abuser, either financially or otherwise. And they are told you have to get out, you have to get out. But you know, Tamisha did that. She did leave. She did put some space and distance between herself and Demichelot, yet he still found a way to get to her, and he took her life in the most brutal and final act of domestic violence. There are so many resources out there to help victims of domestic violence, whether you need someone to talk to, you can text, you could chat online with an advocate, you could speak to a counselor on the phone, If you are in crisis, if you need to get out, if you know someone who needs help, if you want help in identifying signs that someone you care about might be the victim of domestic violence, when you Google it, there are literally pages and pages of resources out there, as well as shelters. It's all anonymous. It's all confidential. Nobody is ever alone. And there is help if you need it to walk you through the steps of escaping it's not impossible you can visit the national coalition against domestic violence at www.ncadv.org/get-help for anonymous confidential help you can also call 1-800-799-SAFE And that brings this 119th episode of California Dreaming to a close. Please come over to our Facebook discussion group if you haven't done so yet and request to join. It is there we discuss the cases that we cover, share our thoughts and opinions, not only about our show, but any other podcast that you listen to, documentaries that you've watched, books that you've read, as well as current news stories, posts about your pets, post funny memes. Please come on over and share. You can also go over to the show's Facebook page and like that page and leave a review or a recommendation. You can also follow us on Twitter at CaliforniaPod and Instagram at CaliforniaDreamingPod. I would like to wish the following dreamers a very happy birthday this week. Brooke on December 2nd, Debbie F. on the 3rd, Beth Ann T. of the Seeing Red podcast and Krista T., of the 36 times podcast on the fourth Beth M on the fifth Mary a Michelle F and Jerry S on the sixth and L S C on the seventh California dreaming is brought to you by the orbital jigsaw network a podcast production company on a mission to create some of the best podcasts to listen to with an eclectic roster of shows with content including true crime history sports entertainment gaming and social media so visit our website at www.orbitaljigsaw.com also i'd like to congratulate jake over at the historium podcast for making the best podcast you haven't heard of yet on themedium.com and again you can find all of our shows and links to our merchandise store at www.orbitaljigsaw.com Thank you again so much for listening. I'm your host, Roseanne. Until next time, sweet dreams.
1: John Lorden. I'm Mike Morford. And I'm Gray Hughes. And we're here to tell you about our podcast, Three Men and a Mystery. Three Men and a Mystery is a long-form investigative and interactive true crime podcast featuring three social media true crime veterans. We take a deep dive into one case per season, focusing in on every detail to give you a complete picture. We work hard to bring you in-depth interviews with people related to the case and some of the best true crime experts in the country. We not only raise exposure to the cases we cover to help elicit tips, but also to honor the memory of the victims and recognize the struggles of their families. If you want to see certain evidence rather than just hear about it and join in on an active community discussion, head over to our YouTube channel, Three Men and a Mystery. Season 1 features the case of two teenagers tragically killed on their way home. After almost 20 years, charges have been filed, and we will keep you updated on new developments. Season 2 features the story of a woman who died on her wedding day. Body cams, detective interviews, and family interviews will help us try to determine if she ended her own life, or if it was a staged homicide. We currently have a 4.6 out of 5 star rating on Apple Podcasts. And have been featured in Vulture Magazine. Some cases are just too big for one person to cover, so check out Three Men and a Mystery. Visit us online at www.threemenandamystery.com, that's with the number three, or find us on Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube. But most importantly, help us help others. Subscribe wherever you listen to your favorite podcast so you don't miss a single episode and become part of the Three Men and a Mystery community today.